0: Every Arizona homeowner's best friend. And it all has to do with you. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the House. Your weekend wake-up tradition. Inch by inch, row by row, gonna make
1: this start
2: grow. Come on around back, Arizona. It's a beautiful Arizona Saturday morning, 8 o'clock. Third Saturday of the month here in our Outdoor Living Hour. That means we are talking about notes from the nursery with Jay Harper, except we had a little uh, miscommunication. He texted me Thursday and said, oh, I forgot to tell you, I'm going to Mexico for a week. I'm leaving tomorrow. I'll be back Saturday. <laughs> oh, forgot to tell you that's a big oops you know the bad thing is i actually ran into somebody who's going on that trip over a month ago at a surprise birthday party and told me about the trip and they were going jay was going so i knew about it i just forgot about it and then when he sent me that text i was like oh that's oh yeah oh yeah you were talking
0: about how beautiful a morning it is uh we walked out the front door jump in the car and come down to the station this morning Absolutely gorgeous sunrise over the McDowells and the Superstitions at Four Peaks. Just enough cloud cover with that
2: red hue. Oh man, beautiful sunrise this morning. This is the time of year. Both of my commutes are into the sun, so <laughs> yes, I get yes. I get a lot of good sunrise sunsets right now. You just got to make sure you have a clean windshield. But we're still <laughs> we're still going to stick to the theme. You can still join the conversation. One triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you. Text questions can be sent to four one one nine two three, or you can email info at Rosie on if you'd like to talk about. Anything in your backyard landscape will still get you the right answers. And we actually have a great lineup that we did put together today. Uh, To not disappoint those that follow along in our home maintenance calendar, you'll notice we're going to be talking about roses. Well, Jay did a great job covering that last year. So this first segment here shortly, we'll actually play that. Uh, clip from last year so you can keep up with your um, if, you've, if you're if you a rose gardener or you're following along the calendar it, this is the time of year I understand they're the prettiest but you've got to cut them back to I basically know, nothing. I know. it's, it's really want, hard it's really hard. If you want that that summer bloom to hit now's the time to prune it so Jay will talk through the techniques of that then uh, we'll talk a little bit about current water and along with a nice list of Santa's naughty and nice plants, according to Water Use It Wisely. The third segment, we're actually going to have the, a couple key founders in the Queen Creek Botanical Gardens that will join us on the line. And then our art, our highest viewed article this week has to do with winterizing your uh, irrigation system for the mountain country. So we're actually going to have Chris Wilborn on talking about that. If you've got a second home or a, a cabin up in Munns Park or a Potato Patch or Uh, Jake's Corner, you know, any of those places that you're going to need to do a little bit of winterizing, he'll cover that as well. So we've got a lot of great content for you today, and we'll kick off to stick on target with our home maintenance calendar. If you'd like one, you can just let us know where you'd like us to mail it, and we'll mail you a physical copy. January 6th, Notes from the Nurses, it's (coughs) Roses.
3: We're talking about roses today, though, and and an interesting conversation. We've had this before about the health benefits of gardening in general, doing doing yard chores, I won't call it work because we don't want to scare people off, but <clears throat> um, is great exercise. You, you, you can be in pretty darn good shape and go out there and do yard work and you'd be sore the next day because there are s- stretching and using muscles that you don't often use even in a regular workout. So it is a great physical activity for stretching and flexibility and balance and uh and strengthening and i would encourage people to just even mow your own grass just do some some kind of activity i so gardening i look forward to the weekend and rose bushes this time of year we'll finally get to rose bushes um
2: <laughs> The varieties of roses that do well. How to care for them? They look beautiful right now, but you got to chop them down, fertilizing <laughs> them throughout
3: the year. <laughs> right. There's a, there's a, I think an unfair mystique uh, surrounding roses. You know that they are hard to grow, that they take a lot of work. Um, I'm, I'm not sure why that is, other than the rose has this uh, mystique and, and image of being this regal uh, flower and, and surrounded with, you know you know, royalty and, you know, big-time presence and, and that sort of thing. And, and certainly they are magnificent, but there's all kinds of roses, and there's all kinds of ways to grow roses. <clears throat> and you don't have to grow roses to enter a contest and show roses and have them critiqued and have the perfect rose. If you're going to grow roses in your backyard for color, for enjoyment, for scent, for fragrance— then there's a lot of opportunities for you. You can grow them in containers if you don't have a big spot to plant roses. You know they do. There are varieties that do great in in containers. Um, one thing that they don't lend themselves very well to is in a in our kind of new xeriscape type concept with lots of gravel around them. I wouldn't recommend them in a hot gravelly situation. You need to have a bed that's dedicated. To the roses, and you need to use lots of organic material around the roses, lots of mulch, compost, that sort of thing. So, if you can dedicate a little planting area, and uh, a friend of mine who's a big-time rosarian, uh, Ryan Rieger, has his whole backyard is just a series of planting beds, and you can walk around and in between them, and in these beds is just lots of good organic material and just big mass plantings of rose bushes and they really are his landscape. So you can go from landscaping with roses because they they come in different sizes. Some varieties get rather large, some stay small so you can you can plan your beds accordingly. There are rose trees, so little patio trees for front entryways or in containers. There's, you know, very small growing roses for little hedges and things like that. Miniature roses do great in containers. So there's almost an application for everything. And, and here of, of late, anybody that's driven around in kind of the Arcadia, central Phoenix area, there's been a renaissance of sorts when it comes to planting roses, particularly a variety called iceberg, which is a shrub-type rose. It doesn't have to be pruned all that finically. Um, it can just be kind of pruned back like a normal landscape shrub. And and they look just awesome with regular, with the greenery of your landscape with these white flowering roses. So there's been a big resurgence uh, in using roses as more of a landscape shrub than a just a quote-unquote rose bush or a rose planting bed. Now, the couple of things that you do have to do with roses, you do generally have to cut them back this time of year. Um <clears throat> Again, depending on the varieties that you have, that doesn't have to be a hard task. If you've got landscape or shrub-type roses, you simply can just hedge them back. But you got to get rid of that old growth. Roses bloom on the new, the new ends, the new tips, the terminal ends of, of growth. So we want to create a lot of new growth by taking off all of that old growth and letting them rejuvenate and regrow and put on a lot of flowers.
2: Now, let me ask a question. What happens if I don't cut that off? How long will they stay looking good? And my the reason I'm asking that, if you've got a mature one enough, could you cut just half of them off so that you can have a nice foliage for a couple more months before the new foliage of the other one starts to flush out?
3: Well, I suppose, but the problem is, is that you didn't have a, a, a plant that was mixed with a bunch of old growth with new growth. The old growth usually will start to get unsightly, and and it'll f- kind of fall off and slough off on its own. So you end up with a plant that's rather large and sparsely foliated. Kind of down in the middle to the bottom, you'll start losing all your leaves, and you won't have any leaves up to a point, and then you'll have a lot of new growth at the end. They're still going to put on new growth, but we want the whole plant pretty much to have new growth as opposed to just the ends of the plant and have this. You couldn't thin it enough <clears throat> that
2: it would ever look as good as you wanted it. Probably. I think that Cause. would be a lot of work. It's a lot easier <laughs> just to bite just the bullet chop it, it off. <laughs> and especially
3: this year, as warm as it's been, I'm looking at rose bushes around town and they are fabulous. They're probably the best blooms of the year we get are in the late fall and early winter. Because the temperatures are so perfect for growing roses. Seriously, if you cut them back in thirty days you have new growth. In 45 to 60 days, they're blooming again. But it is pretty critical that this time of year you just kind of sacrifice, the, enjoy the last of the blooms, cut them off, bring them in the house. They'll last a week or two. Cut them back. The other thing you want to do as soon as they start to regenerate new growth, you see new growth coming on, start fertilizing them. Roses are pretty heavy feeders. They like to be fed uh, pretty consistently. Um, There are all kinds of rose food products. Uh, we obviously recommend using the Farm's Choice organic fertilizers on them. They also make uh, a great pre-plant uh, product for the new roses, because as, as it is time to prune roses, this is also a great time to be planting new roses. Rose bushes don't last forever, although you can, if you prune them properly, they will last a long time. Um, but, so planting new roses, this is when all the new varieties have come out, the new introductions for the year, the All-American Award winners. Uh, The selection, if you're looking for great selection, is usually the best from about now till March, and that just happens to be probably the best time to plant them as well. And, And typically anymore, most rose bushes have been or are containerized. In the old days, we got them in what was called bare root. The roses were pruned back, had no leaves on them, had no soil on the roots. Nurseries then unbundled them healed them in or kind of planted them in a bed of sawdust. The customer came in, picked one out, you pulled it out, you might prune it a little more, you wrapped it up with some straw and butcher paper and sent them on their way home. Now most nurseries get their rose bushes in and pot them up uh, in, a, in a container so that <clears throat> the, the process of getting them home is a little easier. You don't have to just hurry right home and plant them. Um, they stay better in the nursery. Um, The shelf life is better. Um, The only thing we do discourage, we still discourage the packaged roses, the ones that you find that are all bundled up in a shrink-wrapped kind of a cellophane packing around them. Um, typically it's kind of like buying a Christmas tree you know you go to the the place and there's a big box of roses sitting out there in the parking lot baking in the full sun <laughs> I'm, I'm not i'm not an advocate for planting or buying any of those so go to a good nursery that you can make sure that you're buying a what's called a number one graded rose um, you know it means it's got good healthy canes good healthy roots uh, and you'll have great success plant them before it gets warm, uh, and fertilize them good, plant them right, and you'll have great success with them.
2: You know, Arizona grows a lot of roses. If you've ever been out by Luke Air Force Base, something... Yes. I don't remember the statistics, but when we had the Arizona Farm Bureau in, they brought the rose uh, farmer and grower in, and it, it was something ridiculous. Like 88% of all the flowers you buy in your local grocery stores come right here locally. But uh, something did catch my eye. There, it, we got, when you go to home shows and trade shows and garden shows. We do a lot of research at different events and expos, and you sign up for this and that. So your email gets captured by all these different PR agencies and uh, expos and trying to get your attention. And one came across my desk that did kind of interest me. We were invited to the Philadelphia Flower Festival. Now, that doesn't sound all that interesting.
0: Yes, it does. Because <laughs> it's in a, Philadelphia. A flower festival? I, I, but, would, I would go to Philadelphia for any reason. So
2: that that's what originally piqued my interest, because I've never been. And I understand there's incredible history and the amount of oh. uh, just... Well, anyway, this is at the Franklin Delano Roosevelt Park. And it's Saturday and Sunday, 8 to 5. So we might just have to go broadcast live. Absolutely. You know, I'm in for for journalistic reasons. Could we could we expense that? They say the five main reasons to attend is it's outdoors for one. There's something for everyone from beginners to experts. It's an opportunity to get your hands dirty. It's a photographer's paradise and it's in the FDR Park and this description of the park is what it kind of piqued my interest about philadelphia and it, it it's created by the Olmsted brothers now some of the other things that you may have seen they designed the grounds at capitol hill and most of their work although it was done in the northwest they also designed berkeley well, college northeast northeast yeah thank you <laughs> the other, what they did on the, the west uh, the other yeah. west <laughs> the east side what they've done on the west side was berkeley and they've this park is 348 acres It's got 126 acres of woodland. It's got four baseball diamonds, a skate park, a network of lakes, and this is this flower show is on a 15 acre stretch right on the main course. So it's sound and and you look at the pictures of it, and it is multicolored roses grown around these you know colonial arches that. I, I, I will agree it's probably going to be a photographer's paradise. So we'll have to, uh, we'll have to get our people on that. Field trip. Field trip.
4: <laughs>
2: do you know when this happens? June uh, 5th and 6th of this year, I well, believe. If you,
4: if you want to see something beautiful right now yeah. that has to do with flowers, go to Desert Botanical Gardens in Phoenix. They have a amazing display by a couple out of San Francisco um, called the Wind, Water, and Earth Display and this couple is known, they've got the water lily pond and they're artists. They take structures and flowers and put them all together. I guess it's just amazing. And looking at the website, you can, you have to have a reservation to get in uh, to Botanical Gardens at all. Mask are required, but it's open. You can go look at all those beautiful, beautiful things.
2: So, something a little bit more local. You don't have to travel to <laughs> Philadelphia to see a nice display. The Arizona Water Municipal, AMWA. They, pub, they have an organization or a little project they put together called Water, Use It Wisely. And a lot of people, when they move here, eventually ask the question, well, how much can Arizona continue to grow before we run out of water? We are actually at the same, despite the no rain monsoon of, of 2020, oh, our man. reservoirs are about the same this year as they were last year, over 70% full. Most of those reservoirs are not reliant on the rain. Uh, A lot of it is all the snow runoff. But they put together a list of naughty and nice plants for Arizona based (laughs) on water use. And for every, like, how many times do we get questions about hibiscus? You know, we've answered that question over 20 years many times. Well, that's on the naughty list. What's on the nice list it is still a hibiscus but it's a different variety uh, San Marcos so it gives you an alternative if you were looking for let's say you want to do you wanted to plant a privet shovel instead they suggest a sugar bush so they try and match something equally in style and design but it uses much less water it's a more drought tolerant and they have this broken down for uh, shrubs as well as trees So instead of um, a myrtle, they say, you know, plant a desert willow. So you can get that at com. It is Santa's naughty and wise plant list is the article. I love it. I love it. Yeah, the
0: state currently, I heard just yesterday, uh, is virtually 100% in a drought-stressed condition. There's no nook or cranny of the state that isn't stressing right now. So, and 70% of the water we use in our urban homes, 70% of it is for our landscape.
2: So be smart. Where can they find that? WaterUseItWisely.com. Just look for the plant of the month, Santa's Naughty, and Wise Plant list. We'll also put a link on today's archive page. Next segment, we have a couple of the key founders of the Queen Creek Botanical Gardens joining us on the line to talk about their newly opened botanical garden, the newest botanical garden, and it also has features the, the uh, industrial era type of watermill. We'll learn more about that.
0: A beautiful morning. To get out in the garden. You know, I was listening to local news the other night at home in my favorite easy chair. And, Romy, you were talking about how dry it's been as well as uh, how hot and mean this last summer was. We broke all kinds of heat records. It was, it was a... Not bragging. No, no. (laughs) We didn't want to break those. But I called it the meanest summer I can ever remember, and I've been here since 1966. But the weather forecast specialist on the TV said that we've had more 40-degree 40, 40 degree consecutive lows. We set a new record in the last four to six weeks.
3: And it has to do with the low dew point. The lower the yes. dew point, the chillier it was. So I know somebody like Farmer
1: Greg's probably excited about chill hours right you now. Bet. You bet. Uh, you
0: bet a whole bunch of folks just like Farmer Greg are excited about the dew point. But it's just interesting that we've set that record this summer, and then we set this record this winter. More consecutive days with lows in the 40s in the valley than ever recorded.
4: I'm a bigger fan of the lows. The I'm record a, lows. I'm a
0: bigger fan of the
4: lows. That was brutal. Uh, you know, we were talking about botanical gardens, and Rosie star, or Romy started out in Philadelphia. I brought us to Phoenix. But I, there's one more that I really would like to talk about this morning, and that is the Queen, 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 <laughs> Queen Creek <laughs> Botanical Great, Garden. And they have just a wonderful mission. They Their desire is to have elegant, edible landscape. And um, I took the girls, all the family girls, out to their Great Christmas building, yeah. uh Christmas at Pecan Lake, just a wonderful setting. So we have uh, Justin Rohner on with us this morning, and he's going to talk about what they've got going on at that right now. Hey, Justin, how are you? I'm doing well. Good, good. So you're you're not actually out at the garden this morning. I'm going to rat you out, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I am not. I am not. I'm I'm up in White River, Arizona, so doing a little skiing, but also looking at some uh, pinyon pines that we're looking to bring down to the Queen Creek Botanical Gardens as another edible pine tree that uh, oh, yeah. is here in, in Arizona.
4: Yes. Well, work hard, play hard. You're one of our kind of people.
1: <laughs> you got it. Yeah. You got it.
4: Well, well tell us what, what's going on right now. At What, what could people expect? Uh, how can they get engaged with you? How What can they come look at?
1: Well, right now at the gardens, we're actually open for guided tours. We're still under construction, but uh, we're actually in the process of uh, planting about 122 more fruit trees to the property uh, in the various themed gardens but uh, it is open to the public on saturday starting next week i think this weekend's already filled up uh, but you can actually RSVP online at QCGardens.org. get in uh, in these guided tours that actually include some you know harvest tasting so as we take you around the gardens you'll be able to taste some of the stuff that's in season In these various themed gardens we got an english themed garden we've got the the japanese themed garden Uh, a medicinal garden and we call it the mill creek medicinal garden some production gardens more market farming kind of approaches Uh, a beautiful 120 to 180 year old uh, little grove of olive trees that is just a beautiful little setting there that you can come and enjoy we call it our gethsemane garden it's our golden rule gethsemane garden which holds a lot more themes of some of the other submissions of what we do at the Queen Creek Botanical Gardens, just bringing all faiths uh, under one space of, of the golden rule. We, we honor people from that golden rule space. So it's got a, a different spirit there at the Queen Creek Botanical Gardens and probably any of the garden you've ever experienced.
4: Sounds like we it, need uh, that right you know, now too. A nice place just to kind of heal really and, and rest.
3: That's a great thing. What, what did you say again? All faiths under one space. That's right. And oh, it's, it's a
4: garden where
1: we, we celebrate we celebrate those the golden rule as it shows up in all faiths. All major world religions have a, a golden rule in their script. And and we showcase that and we showcase some of those spiritual herbs, other things that are really significant to each of these faiths will start being 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 grown in, in different themed gardens and and we started with that Gethsemane Garden, the Christian faith. We've been interviewing faith-based leaders for a number of months. You can find those online, too, at our, on our Facebook page. We've been posting a lot of those great interviews of how we can bring the world back together and, and in, in respect to one another, as well as through food, because that's the one place we all seem to agree. You know, that eating's a good idea.
4: Food and football, you know. <laughs> Seems to be. Uh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Food, faith, and football. Food, football, and faith. Right? Yeah, there you go. Uh, well, I wanted to say, you know, you talk about it being under construction, but having been there, that's not what you sense when you're there. The, the things that are finished are beautiful, the pecan grove, the olive yeah. trees, and then that... You know, you, you walk around, there's a path all around this beautiful lake, and at the end is this um, water mill. And why don't you talk a little bit about that? It's beautiful.
1: Yeah, that water mill, it's, it's one of only three west of the Mississippi that even function. And uh, we, it's a replica of uh, of an 1880s water wheel that we had brought over, and we've actually got inside the upper gristmill area. We've actually got an 1877 uh, authentic refurbished grist mill with stone sets and everything that actually runs off of that water wheel. So that water wheel is fully functional. We got pecan crackers and sorters and shellers, all old age stuff that people kind of museum grade, but also can grind the wheat. We got them refurbished to the point that we can actually use that old stuff to, to crack and grind stuff for people's you know, own food consumption. So it's a really, really fun experience up there inside that wheel that wheelhouse. And uh, it's, it's neat.
4: It was really charming at the Christmas event. You had, um, you could, as you walked around that, you could see Santa. They had like a holographic Santa in the windows and he was working up there. It was really fun. Um, but I, I have to know your secret, Justin, as you're looking out of that, if you, as you're up on top with the watermill and you're looking off, <clears throat> excuse me, to the north, there's this hill of beautiful plants. I just have to know how you plant on a such a steep hill it's crazy
1: plant on a steep hill it, it is tricky uh, there's some really cool stuff actually out of Guatemala they, they do all their farming in many parts of Guatemala on these steep hillsides and so we've been studying them for a number of years and with our fruit trees a lot of it has to do with how you set up the watering system to make sure it's kind of upside on the hill as well as subterranean so we actually are really watering from the inside of the hill you know, down. But the other big key piece is that hillside is really creating some microclimates, which helps us expand the range of food product that we can actually grow at the gardens. And so it's a it's a really important piece of our puzzle there at the Queen Creek Botanical Gardens to be able to showcase tropicals on one side of the hill, and then on the other side, even be able to grow cherry trees that will produce, thanks to not only the added chill hours you guys were talking about earlier, but it also just automatically will create a cooler environment for, you know, we're even growing Royal Rainier cherries and we've been productive with them for the last three years. So it's, it's possible to get cherries in the valley. You just got to be strategic on how you set them up.
4: Well, I think with the amount of research you've done and your enthusiasm, you're a great resource for anyone who's interested in, in edible gardening.
2: Well,
1: it's definitely a, an education space out there at the Botanical Gardens. We also use uh, Agriscaping technologies. I mean, that's, that's really what it's all founded on is, is new technologies that take some old school stuff, but bring in new technology and microclimate mapping to, to help people be able to grow no matter if they got full sun or full shade. You know, it's, it's important for people, especially nowadays with shrinking landscapes, you know, to be able to grow good food in the spaces they have available. If everything's not full sun anymore.
2: And Justin, I was curious, with the, all that you're doing with the Queen Creek Botanical Garden, are you still doing agriscaping? Yeah, so that, that company's still running full bore. We,
1: we continue to expand and certify more pros to be able to help us out. It is very difficult. It's, there's been so much demand for that, uh, that organization and, and what it does. Uh, it's, been, it's been legitimately hard to keep up, even in this COVID era, because uh, we just can't find enough pros that really understand both landscaping and food. And so we have to train them up, which uh, with all this physical distancing, it's a little difficult to get some good training in.
2: But the concept, I think, is great. Just take what you have on your property and design it so you've got both landscaping and uh, edibles combined.
1: That's right. You know, have your beautiful garden and eat it, too.
2: (laughs) And you can go to agriscaping.com. You guys do a number of uh, both live and virtual events that people can jump on and start getting ideas and getting pictures and saving articles and start the concept of their own uh, transition from a, a just a, a, a plain landscape to an agroscape. Yep,
1: yeah, we do. Free classes online every month. There's always a number of classes. We'll be starting to do some more live in-person classes that will be at the Queen Creek Botanical Gardens as well as a couple other strategic sites around the valley. So, so we we in, want to make sure people have access to that information, for sure. And
4: so to clarify, Justin, um, you have the Queen Creek Botanical Garden website. You also have an yep. agriscaping.com website. And in Facebook, what's your tag in Facebook?
1: Tag in Facebook, you can just look up agriscaping for agriscaping stuff, and then 2 underscore gardens on Facebook will find us on Facebook.
2: Well, good luck hunting those pinion pines. And when you say you're looking for an edible yeah. pine, what part do you eat? The sap? So on a, on a pinion pine, well, you can chew on the sap. If you
1: were a kid like me, we'd, we'd chew on anything we found out here in the, in the forest. But with the pinion pine, it's actually the pine cone itself produces the pine nut. So just like those roasted pine nuts you can find in the store, they grow, they grow wild and natural up here in the, in the White Mountains.
0: Picked a pound up just last week. 40 dollars a pound
2: (laughs) but they're worth it but they're worth (laughs) it man i love
0: pine nuts
2: well happy hunting justin and we'll look forward to seeing how those grow here in uh the desert and thanks for spending a little time it's been quite fun watching the development it really has been you know i i tried to uh you know this is the first new botanical garden to arizona in over 40 years I wonder
0: how many there are like this in the country—a botanical garden that features edibles. I don't. That, that's, I mean,
2: if you're going to water, probably no. We should ask him before we let him gonna go. If you're going to
0: water it, if you're going to fertilize it, if you're going to trim it, if you're going to care for it, if you're going to spend all that effort on it in your
2: landscaping, why not be able to eat it? <laughs> Great question. We've got callers lining up, 767 4348. That's one triple eight Rosie for you. We'll get to them as well as our guest Chris Wellborn of Vicente Landscaping for anyone that has a mountain cabin uh, with an irrigation system what you need to know about properly winterizing uh, your landscape.
0: Every Saturday during the show We reach back into our internet machine and we see what's the most asked question of the week that Arizona homeowners were reaching out to us at Rosie on the House about. And this week, the number one question was, how do I prepare my cabin, my mountain getaway for the winter? So what better resource than to reach up to our Yavapai County, uh, Rosie on the certified partner, Chris Wellborn of Ascente Landscaping. Let's bring Chris into the conversation. Uh, I don't know why you live in Prescott and then you also have a cabin to go to on the weekend. But Chris, we've caught at his cabin. So let's bring him into the conversation. Chris, thanks for joining us, my friend.
5: Oh, no problem. Good morning, guys. How is everyone today?
0: Very well, very well. Talk to us a little bit about those of us in the Valley that have those weekend high elevation homes. Uh, how? What is the proper way? What do you guys do different on the irrigation systems up there than we do down here?
5: Well, the irrigation systems, we want to make sure drainage is so important up here because it's a timely question in that we were down in low teen temperatures overnight this week. So anything, uh, any pipes that are buried underground are probably going to be pretty safe. It's the exposed pipes that are the biggest issue for us up here in the mountain country. So the one thing we want to do now, we want to make sure irrigation systems are turned off. And you want to make sure not only that the the systems are turned off, but you want to make sure the water pipes are drained, especially those pipes that are exposed. So uh, you want to make sure the water source is turned off. You want to make sure all your drains are open. Anything that is exposed, any pipes, you want to make sure you insulate them. Um, You know, we often have backflow valves that are exposed above ground. (laughs) If you have backflow valves, you want to make sure that you have, you know, an insulation blanket or an insulation uh, wrapped around, towels wrapped around uh, those pipes or those valves. Uh, because it doesn't take much. It doesn't take a, a long time period when the temperatures
0: are in the low teens for those pipes to start freezing. So that's how we drain the system for the winter season. Yep. Uh, and then is there is it tricky to get all that air out and fire it back up in the early summer?
5: Well, for the most part, we don't blow out our pipes here in the Okay. The, Prescott area, uh, like they do in some areas of the country, just because our temperatures are so mild. So this week, for example, we had temperatures in the daytime, high time temperatures in the 50s and 60s, but at night it would freeze. But it's not cold enough for a long period of time for the below ground pipes to freeze. So there really isn't a need to blow out the water, as long as you have a good setup where you have drains for you know, the water to drain out at those most critical areas. So if, you're, if your system is designed correctly, you really don't need to blow it out.
0: Very good. So
5: in a typical system that we design, uh, you can pretty much drain the system in a few minutes, uh, depending on the size of the system, of course, but definitely less than five minutes you can get it drained. And then on a nice warm day, if you want to water your system, it probably takes... Uh, about the same amount of time, a uh, little bit less than five minutes to get it back up and charged.
0: Very good. And Chris, when you're doing landscape designs for your homeowners up in you have a pie County, what are, what do you what what vegetation are you taking them into? I mean, y'all've got the drought to consider. You've got fire wise to consider. Uh, well, how do you take them through the plant options?
5: yeah, every every property is a little bit different, um, but, but drought is so important here. So, you know, the one thing we're seeing trends towards uh, is we're not installing or not maintaining nearly the amount of, of turf that we have in the past. A lot of people are replacing their turf uh, with either artificial grass or, or putting in drought-tolerant plants and trees. Um, you bring up a good point about fire-wise. That's a a very, um, a very critical thing that we've experienced firsthand in the Prescott area and Flagstaff, Sedona, all these northern uh, communities have had severe fires in the last couple decades. And uh, that's critical as to the placement of where we put the plants and the trees. We don't want to get too close to the house uh, when we're planting and designing uh, we don't want to make it look bare. We don't need to make it look bare. We just have to be <laughs> smart about where we where we place the plants and trees and the types of plants and trees. There are certain trees, there, there are no plant life out there that's truly fire-proof, but there are some plants and trees that would provide a little bit more resistance in the case of a fire.
0: Chris Wellborn of Vicente Landscaping. Uh, operating out of the Prescott, Prescott Valley area. Chris, we really appreciate you joining us on your weekend family time. Oh, no problem. Good talking to both if, of you guys. If people wanted to get a hold of you, how would they do that? Uh, you can call our office at
5: 928-636-1601 or visit our website anytime at vicentelandscaping.com.
0: Long-standing, rosy-certified landscaper for the Prescott Prescott Valley, Yavapai County, surrounding area. Chris, thanks a bunch.
4: Hey, I had a gentleman hey. I had a gentleman hey. call in because he knew it was the landscape garden hour, but I told him we had a little mix-up this morning, but he still wanted to know if you wanted to give a stab at uh, helping him. He had a lawn, tore it out because he couldn't figure out how to get rid of the weeds, so now he's back down to bare dirt. Does he? He wanted to know. Does he need to rototill? Does should he just go to sod? He had all kinds of questions. So I thought, well, I'll throw it out there. See what, you know, what y'all remember from all the years of sitting with Jay.
0: Do we know where in Arizona Phoenix, he was? Phoenix. Phoenix. Uh, I would have one recommendation for him. Call okay. Ray Lopez at Scottsdale Weed Control.
4: <laughs> well, I think that, it's too late for that. <laughs> no, 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 no.
0: For, for weed control. Yeah. On on now that the lawn's out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I use Ray as my greenskeeper on my tiff lawn area in the backyard he's already been out starting the treatment to bring it into full health come the
2: spring but i would say call ray lopez as for an actual lawn he's probably not going to be able to find ryegrass seed anymore if he can he's going to need to get a cover for it as well uh, to keep it um, warm during the night Probably gonna have to wait most likely though for Bermuda or he can do some kind of installed roll-up from like a West Coast side.